0: If you have your Bibles, would you open it up to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 3 this morning. If you don't have one, there's Bibles in the racks around you. And if you don't own a Bible, there's free Bibles in the back. I'd love for you to take one with you today when you leave. You can find them on that table back there. Don't hesitate to do that. If you don't own a Bible, we believe it's the best thing you can own. We really want you to have a copy of God's Word in your hand. Romans chapter three, and we're gonna be diving into that in just a second. I, I wanna share an update with you. Last, week, uh, last weekend, I shared a prayer request with you um, for uh, uh, members of our family, church family here, George and Sharon, and uh, I told you that George had been diagnosed with uh, stage four colon cancer, and um, George passed away this last Thursday evening, okay? And um, he's, he's a believer in Christ, and so we know where he's at this morning, right, Church? Okay, that's uh, one of the reasons we can sing holy, 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 um, but when you have like nine days notice that you've got terminal cancer and you're gone the following Thursday, rarely do I come across situations where people pass that quickly, but George had his house in order. And so I'm here to tell you this morning, um, Sharon's doing good. Um, obviously, the loss of a, of a husband like that is, rocks your world and there'll be pain and there'll be grieving over the days ahead, but I'm asking you to pray for them. So when we pray in just a minute, I'm gonna ask you to pray for Sharon and and her kids, Alex and George and uh, Rachel, that uh, God would be just near and dear to them. Um, Importantly, there's gonna be a funeral here on Wednesday, and I say importantly because Sharon's being very deliberate about wanting George's uh, friends and his coworkers to be here. And she really wants them to hear the gospel. So I'm going I'm to bring it, all right? So you'd be praying about that so that uh, people's hearts would be receptive to hear God's word. Let's pray about the book of Romans and, uh, and about what God wants us to hear this morning. Would you join me in that? Father, we come before you. Our hearts are prepared. We, we've been able to sing to you and Regardless of the distractions going on in our mind right now and the things that we may have left undone at home, I I pray, Father, that you allow us to be fully focused in this moment, to hear from you what you want us to gain from your word. So, Father, I ask that you would speak truth, that your Holy Spirit would just flow in this place, and that you would be our teacher and our guide. You would change us as a result of it. Father, we're surrendered to you, so we ask that you would use it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're new to church, maybe you've never been to church before or you rarely go, I especially want you to hear this first part, but it also relates to you if you're a believer and you've been at church for a long time. God the Son condescended to become Jesus the man. God the Son became Jesus the man and he lived a completely perfect life, sinless. Yet even though he lived a perfect life, completely sinless, the Romans crucified him on a cross. God used that cross as a tool. That tool became the instrument, the instrument of death by which he would die for the sins of the world, for my sins, for your sins. It's the truth of God's word. We don't stop there though. After three days in the grave, he rose again. He rose from the dead. That's the truth of God's word. And then he ascended into heaven. And we're told that he's coming back again in the same way. If you believe that, he promised something on the basis of your belief, your faith in what I just said. God said, if you believe that, I will take away every sin from your life. Not just some of them. I will take away all your sin, past, present, and future. And not only that, you get to join me in heaven one day for all eternity. And eternity is a long time, right, church? And it's like forever. So we're told on the basis of what I just described to you, God made a commitment. He said, if you believe that, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do any work whatsoever. I've done it all, and you get to spend eternity with me. That's like amazing, right? I think that's why they call it amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Because that news saved a wretch like me, and it saved you. That's the truth of God's word. Amazing grace that God would send his son to die for me. If if you've never heard that before, you can just say, I believe that, I get that. And, And God says on the basis of your belief, he removes your sins from you as far as the east is from the west. Somebody brand new hearing that today, maybe you're listening online right now, you're live streaming this, you've never heard that before, listen. What you're thinking right now is, can that actually be true? Can, can that be real? I can be forgiven just like that? Yep. And as a result of that, God says, I see you as righteous. You are righteous in my sight and you don't have to earn it. Now here's where it relates to you believers in Jesus. When you share that gospel of grace, when you share that good news, Somebody's going to think you're crazy, right? They're going to be like, you're a liar. Are you nuts? What are you even smoking? How is it that easy? That's not impossible. See, you're going to be labeled when you share that kind of news. You're going to be labeled for what you believe. And Christians today, unlike anybody else on planet Earth, wear a target on their back. The amazing thing is God said that you were gonna wear that target. It didn't catch him by surprise. He said that was actually going to be the case. Look with me on the screen at Jesus' own words, and he said this in Luke 21. You will be hated by all because of my name. Kind of sobering, right? We need to be reminded of this though, even though it's hard truth. Jesus said, when you share the gospel of grace, what I've done, people are going to hate you. And yet that still surprises many believers when they become the object of scorn. Many people think, well, I thought that was like for people who are missionaries in the Middle East. Isn't that true for like people in the first century? Why am I being scorned? Why am I being hated? Even though we're explicitly told there are enemies of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look with me on the screen, Philippians 3:18. For many walk of whom I have often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. It's going to go really fast this morning, but you get a classic example of that in Romans chapter 3 verses 5, 6, 7 and 8. Verses 5, 6, 7, and 8 in Romans chapter 3, and I want you to remember the setting. If you're new here, maybe you haven't been here for the last few weeks, we're we're in a study 15 weeks into the book of Romans. Here's Here's the background so you don't feel like you walked into the middle of a movie. Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he's writing to this group of people who are believers at various stages in their walk, and some apparently not even there yet, And through the course of the book, chapter 1, chapter 2, we've seen him make brilliant argument after brilliant argument about why everyone should understand there is going to be a judgment one day and we are all going to stand before God. That that is a reality. But come back to that first thought. If you share the gospel of truth that God will take you from that judgment and redeem you to eternity for himself, if you share that truth, some people are going to harass you and they're going to laugh at you, and they're going to mock you, and they're going to slander you, and they're going to label you. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? Been there? You know exactly what I'm identifying, maybe in the workplace, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe in your own family. You identify with that. Let's take Romans chapter 3, verse 5, 6, 7, and 8 just as a chunk. We don't normally do that at New Hope, but I'm just going to read through it with you, and then we'll break it down. So let's Go to the screen or in your Bible if you have it open or your iPad and just read along. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I am speaking in human terms, may it never be, for otherwise how will God judge the world? But if through my lie the truth of God abounded to his glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, under parentheses, as we are slanderously reported and as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may come. Their condemnation is just. Now, some of you you're doing exactly what the nine o'clock service did and the Saturday night service did. You're staring at me like, what did I just read? Are you kidding me? I can't make any sense of this. What is he saying here? Did you guys ever sit in algebra class? And, and yeah, right. You're tracking already, right? And and you hear your algebra teacher explain a formula over only to have your brain check out at the door. Like, my brain went numb. And then it's even worse when your algebra teacher says, wait, did you pay attention? Because there will be a test on this, right? You're reading this and like, what am I reading? Romans chapter 3, verses five through eight have been called the most difficult passage in the entire book of Romans. And Romans is the most difficult book in the Bible. So if you're new to New Hope, welcome, by the way. Glad you're here. He you just stepped in on a remarkable day. But when we come to this, it's, it's comforting to know that even advanced theologians look at this and say, what, how do I understand this? I'm gonna to commit to you right now, and it's, it's gonna go quick, I promise you. I'm gonna to commit to you, I'm gonna do my best to keep you from feeling like you're in algebra class this morning. So let's, let's dive into verse five. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I am speaking in human terms. See, Paul's inserted a qualifier here, almost like an apology, and he had to put it in these parenthetical brackets. Even the notion that sin could somehow enhance God, he says, that's a stupid human argument. Well, he didn't say stupid, I inserted that part. But he says, that's a human argument. So he's posing this really arrogant question on behalf of individuals who have challenged him. Someone, somewhere along the way, has entered into debates with Paul and have challenged him on God's right to judge. And so they, they say it this way, hear this. Paul, from what you're saying, can't we imply then that the unrighteousness of a person actually magnifies the righteousness of God? In, in that case, Paul, would it not be unjust of God to punish? If I'm a God-glorifier, why would he punish me? Are you tracking the argument? You see how stupid this is? You, you say this, Paul. You're saying when God forgives sins, his grace is magnified. Well, I'm a sinner. So therefore, the more I sin, the more opportunity there is for him to manifest his grace. Remember last week? I'll catch you up if you weren't here. Last week, we talked about the faithfulness of God even when his own people are unfaithful. That when he makes a promise, he sees it through to the end. God is always faithful even when we're unfaithful. Well, last week we talked about the faithfulness of God despite the unfaithfulness of his own people. And the argument that they're making here is then, well, then that sin glorifies God because then God gets to show his grace more. You ever heard the word sophistry? Sophistry is a word that's used to explain when somebody tries to use logic to defend the illogical. In the political world, they call it spin, right? You know what I'm talking about? After debates, you see people go into the back room, and then they try and explain what somebody just said on the debate stage. They're trying to soften or give it another meaning. We've seen a whole lot of that in the election cycle that we're in right now, right? There's a lot of spin going on. That's called sophistry. It's an attempt to defend the indefensible, So lest we think Paul's expressing his own thoughts here, immediately he adds this. I'm speaking in human terms. Don't think for a moment that I believe this. Go with me to verse 6. May it never be, for otherwise how will God judge the world? He says this with incredible intensity. If you look at the Greek language, there's one word for those four English words you're looking at. May it never be. In, In the Greek language is just this, not. Really, if you look at a Greek dictionary, it just says not. May it never be. No, not. That's what Paul says here. He answers his own question. In verse 5, he asks the question in verse 6. No, not. But then he hits it with another question. How could God judge the world if that was the case? See, for someone to reason this way is to deny a basic truth that we will all stand before God as our judge, and he's going to judge the world. Now, obviously, God's not going to encourage sin just to glorify himself. That's why Paul says it's preposterous. If we understand anything about the nature and character of God, it is that he is a perfect judge. And he judges justly. Back that up with scripture. Go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Look on the screen. Genesis eighteen twenty-five: Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? See, Paul's obvious point here is there's no basis for a judgment if God condones sin. Now, he's still in the mental argument. Go forward with me into verse 7. We're almost done. We're going into only to verse 8 this morning. Verse 7, But if the truth, but if through my lie the truth of God abounded to his glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? Remember who Paul's critics are. He's got critics just like you do. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you share the truth of the gospel. Paul has critics. You have critics. Paul's critics are the enemies of the cross, and they're accusing him of teaching something. They're saying, Paul, you're saying the more wicked a person is, the more they glorify God, the more they honor God. This is the reasoning that he's hearing because you find it littered throughout the New Testament. They're they're thinking this way. If my lies serve to make the truthfulness of God more apparent and thus increase his glory, then I'm a God glorifier. Then why am I still being condemned? This is just an aside for you. The arrogance by which mankind attempts to justify ungodly behavior knows absolutely no limit. We have a remarkable capacity, unlike any other created being. As humans, one of the most amazing characteristics about us, of our human nature, is our capacity to rationalize sin. And it starts when we're really, 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 really little. You looked at all those seven, six month, five month, four month old little innocent faces up here who are the heirlooms God gave us. I'm here to tell you, when those kids hit two, three, four years of age, those parents aren't gonna think they're so innocent anymore. Right? I, I'm not gonna even use your kids as an example. I'll, I'll lean into my own. Hearing my two sons, both under 10 at the time, in the room banging to all manner of sound. It sounded like my house is being dismantled. They're apparently throwing each other against the wall. But I didn't hear any crying, so I was good with it, right? Because my, my wife is out shopping and I'm thinking, okay, well, they haven't broken anything yet. And then I hear the scream of pain. Somebody just got punched, and I knew it was my older son beating on my younger son. So I I walk in the bedroom, and I said, Adam, why did you punch Derek? His response was, because he wanted me to. (laughs) Okay, all right, rationalizing (laughs) sinful behavior, right? Okay, let's not leave Derek innocent. My wife, um, when Derek's four years old, walks into the bathroom, and and. Derek is painted up with red lipstick, like a a guy ready to go to war, okay? He's he's grabbed her red lipstick and hit everything but his lips. It's just his cheek, his forehead, and and his hands are covered in it. And Lori's looking at him, and I'm I'm telling you, he, he looked like Mel Gibson in Braveheart. It's just stripes across his face, right? Okay, so Lori says to Derek, Derek, did you get into mommy's lipstick? No is there some being around here who painted you up that way? Okay, we have that capacity to rationalize, to explain, to justify. That's part of what's going on here, but the bigger issue is Paul's just been branded. He's been labeled. They've attached a label to him. The enemies of the cross have slandered him. Go with me to verse 8. He's still envisioning the argument. And why not say, in parentheses, as we are slanderously reported and some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may come. Their condemnation is just. Some places in the Bible you can find exclamation points after phrases. If you go to verse 5, you see an exclamation point. If Paul was le- living in 2016, I think there'd be like 10 exclamation points on the end of that. Their condemnation is just. If he had emojis available to him, there'd be an angry face there. It, he's feeling it. No one ever accused Paul of being politically correct. And he said, they should be condemned. Why? Because they're the enemies of the cross and they're slanderously talking about Paul. And now we just learned this is not hypothetical. This isn't just a mental argument he's been walking through here. He just made it really clear. He's been slanderously talked about. People are claiming things about him that are not true. And the enemies of the cross have obviously accused him of something. Hear this, they're saying, what you believe about Jesus is not real. That's when an enemy of the cross is. Paul, that that grace stuff you're talking about, about God forgiving sins, you're a liar. That's not real. You're just making up arguments. All that does is give people more license to sin, Paul. So that Jesus that you represent, we don't mind slandering you because that that can't be true. So with all the force he can possibly muster, Paul denounces the charge and his response is short and very direct. Their condemnation is just, they deserve to be condemned. That's the end of the four hardest verses in the book of Romans. And I can't leave it hanging there because we talked about in the beginning this issue of you taking on the righteousness of God. You walk in the righteousness of God when you declare Jesus Christ as your Savior. Paul's right there with you wearing the righteousness of God To be a Christ follower, to be someone who sold out to Jesus, is to be under the Lordship of Jesus. That means, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we take on a responsibility, church. We take on a responsibility of walking in the righteousness of God. Sure, we're gonna mess up. Sure, we're gonna stumble along the way. But the difference between a baby Christian and a maturing Christian is that maturing Christians understand. We chase after the righteousness of God. We pursue it wholeheartedly. A baby Christian is really good. With salvation, I got my ticket punched. I know I'm destined for eternity. I don't wanna change anything else. But a maturing Christian understands we walk in that responsibility because God has clothed us in righteousness. I just want to give you an Old Testament example of that. Isaiah writes about putting something on. Look with me on the screen. Isaiah 61.10, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God, for He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. I think of getting out of the shower and just having a big towel go around me and wrapping me up. God says, I've wrapped you. That's the way I see you. You're covered in my righteous, righteousness. It's, it simply reminds me of this church. If I belong to God, not only has He given me salvation, but He sees me as righteous, even when I don't feel like it, even when I don't feel so holy. God said, that's the way I see you, not because of you, but because of what Jesus did for you. Jesus made you holy. Somebody say amen to that. That's a truth of Scripture. So for my part, my job is to be a God reflector, to be this little mirror of his magnificent righteousness. Yet, when I'm one of those mirrors, when you're one of those mirrors reflecting the righteousness of God, we stand out. That's why Jesus said people are gonna hate you. If they have no relationship with God whatsoever and they're looking at you trying to live a righteous life, they're gonna accuse you either of being hypocritical or being a goody-two-shoes. That's typically what the accusations sound like. Let me remind you of Scripture again, 2 Timothy 3.12. All who desire, indeed all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be what, church? Persecuted. So don't be surprised by that, and I know you're not. We, we shouldn't be surprised, but here's what we forget, and I want you to leave here encouraged today, and I want you to leave here comforted. Here is what we forget about walking in the righteousness of God and taking on per- persecution. Here's God's own words back to you. Matthew five ten. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for, for your, what? Your reward. God's got rewards. Your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, you're in good company. You've taken on slander for the name of Christ you are taken on persecution in your workplace, in your family environment, in your neighborhood. People think you're a freak for believing that stuff. God says, that's okay, I got this. I knew this was coming. I knew it was gonna happen, and I know it's real. So he reminds us in Matthew 10 of some promise. The last verse for today. Therefore, Matthew 10, 32, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. It's really sobering, isn't it? Yeah, how incredibly hopeful. What an incredible promise. I mean, sober, balanced with this promise that Jesus himself will one day declare your name, in the throne room of heaven, before the God of glory, he's gonna call out your name. That tells me he knows you by name. And he's not ashamed to be called your God if you're not ashamed to call him your God. So I'm gonna ask everybody in this auditorium to do something right now. And I ask you if you're able to, to either put your right hand up in the air or your left hand up in the air and just to reach around and pat yourself on the back. Okay, all right? Because you just finished the four hardest verses in the hardest book of the Bible. And God knows you by name. That should be so encouraging to you. He not only knows you He died for you and he rose again and he's coming back one day. That's the hope of glory. If you believe it, he says you belong to me. It's the truth of God's word. I'm gonna pray that you walk boldly in that truth this week. Would you join me in that? Father, I pray for every one of us who are gathered in this auditorium, all the children that are gathered downstairs That as a result of having been in this place today, not only that you receive more glory, but that we would be encouraged to recognize and be reminded again of who we are to you. Father, let us walk out of here confidently, boldly, encouraged. Even to be reminded that, yeah, persecution is a reality. But when we receive that, the blessings are great and it didn't surprise you. So Father, I pray that you'd be near to my brothers and sisters in Christ, that they would just surrender themselves to no matter what the persecution, to speak boldly of who you are. And for individuals here who, who may not be there yet, God, I ask that you just be very near to them with the power of your Holy Spirit, drawing them into relationship with you. Pray for this in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. Have a great week, New Hope.